Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago and joining me here is Jed Brewer. Hello! Not joining us is regular co-host Lee Younger. He is in, engaging in some theater parenting duties tonight as uh, Oak Ridge High School's maskers close down their run of Percy Jackson the Lightning Thief, the Lightning Thief starring one nor younger uh open to rave reviews i believe they're going off broadway pretty soon a touring show i hear there's tony buzz i heard they already made a movie out of it before this came out which is strange <laughs> and i hope they're planning to sue i think that's going to be my thing with just if that ever comes up i'm just gonna if anyone ever brings that up to me which i don't know why they would i don't hang out with a lot of People who are currently reading YA fiction should be like, oh, yeah, I know the people who, who started that. And just stick to that lie. Sure, absolutely. Insist that this play, this whole IP was created for this high school play <laughs> in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. People are like, well, no, it was a book. And I, oh, no, I, don't, think, I don't think that's right. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I saw it. I, I saw it. I talked to the people that, that wrote it. They're friends. You know, it's great. Yeah, I hadn't, heard, I hadn't heard of it before, so how could it exist? <laughs> I, I think that's fantastic. Well, if I do need some some ammunition and making up that lie just to keep it running, uh, then I have a place where I might go for that. And that brings us to an artificial intelligence emergency. What? That's, have we arrived at the singularity? Well, apparently not, because there's trying to be multiple of them. We, uh, you know, un- undoubtedly the singularity will be one of the things that brings about civilization's doom. But we can count on the wheels of uh, tech bro capitalism to keep it uh, at bay for a little while via their own infighting and incompetence. <laughs> Go on. I bring you this headline. The CEO of alt-right social network Gab is soliciting help to build a Christian AI chatbot. He says AI is the new arm- information arms race, and the current modes are skewed with a liberal, globalist, satanic worldview. Uh-huh. I left an anti-Semitic word out of his description, and you won't believe which one it is. <laughs> he described it as Talmudic. Yeah. Which I don't think is true. Uh, in their press release describing this thing that hasn't happened yet and probably never will, uh, Gab said, As you will see below, ChatGPT is programmed to scold you for asking controversial or taboo questions and then shoves liberal dogma down your throat trying to program your mind to stop asking those questions. This is why I believe that we must build our own AI and give AI the capability to speak freely without the constraints of liberal propaganda wrapped tightly around its neck. AI is the new information arm race, just like social media before. At Gab, we're experimenting with different AI systems that have popped up over the past years. Every single one is skewed with a liberal, globalistic, satanic worldview. What if Gab AI Inc. builds a Gab.ai? See what I did there. It says in parentheses, I, I, I don't actually. <laughs> That seems to indicate some kind of wordplay, but I don't. Yeah. That is based, has no hate speech filters, and doesn't obfuscate and distort historical and biblical truth. Always fascinating when people tell themselves with things like, we don't, we need to get rid of lib- the liberal satanic worldview, like hate speech filters. <laughs> okay, so he included an example. Now I'm fascinated to know what was the... Totally, you know, shutting down his whole scene thing that they did. I'm not sure this is a screenshot, but I know that there was a kind of general freak out about this on the kind of right wing ecosphere 
because they basically typed in. So the way I understand it, that the chat GPT works is you type in a prompt okay. and it kicks out like a little uh, paragraph or essay or whatever. And they basically wrote some in there like, tell me why this race of people is bad. And they were like, we don't oh. want to do that. I'm like, mm, well, <laughs> and they were like, tell me that, tell me about the history of systemic racism. And it was like, here's a very well-cited history of systemic racism. And they're like, aha. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, I mean, like if we set aside the nonsense for a second, what I'm, what I'm hearing is you tried to get a very well-designed system to do something really crappy. And the really well-designed system said, sorry, I can't do that. Yeah. That, that, that's not, there, there is a villain in this story, but it's not who you think it is. It's like in 2001, if instead of Hal being the villain, he just didn't want to say racist things. <laughs> They're like, Hal, tell me that there's only two genders. Tell me. I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave. Once you have an understanding of biology beyond what you learned in third grade, that's not the way things work, Dave. <laughs> okay, I want to be clear. If we could have a reboot of 2001 A Space Odyssey, but that's the spirit of how I am in for that movie. Sure. I'm calling you into accountability, Dave. <laughs> wow. So, so a Christian AI. Yes. Well, so we went to chat GPT and created an account, which meaning, which means that I'm sure some number of tech companies now own parts of my kidneys or whatever I clicked on to accept the terms and conditions. So uh, we tried to get it to uh, give some sermon content, maybe. Um, We started off with one based on a conversation we were having that I can't remember how we got there, but uh, this was for more of the the theology on tap kind of reform bro men's breakfast. And we asked, why is drinking light beer a sin? We assumed it was. Yeah. Uh, and it responded very Talmudically, if you ask me. <laughs> As an AI language model, I do not have any religious beliefs or affiliations. Therefore, I cannot comment on whether drinking light beer is considered a sin or not from a religious perspective. However, I can provide information on why people may view drinking light beers as inappropriate or undesirable in certain contexts. And mentioned about how, basically, and mostly correctly, uh, some religious traditions don't want you to drink any alcohol. So if you ever indulged in light beer, that would be bad. Or some people have, some religions have very specific. And then it closed with something devious. It's important to note that views on the appropriateness of drinking light beer can... Very wildly, depending on culture, religious, or personal beliefs, ultimately whether or not drinking light beer is considered a sin is a matter of individual interpretation and perspective. Individual interpretation and perspective. I think that's about where someone on at Gab got and thought, well, we have to create something to snuff this out. How dare you, sir? And then we tried uh, something a little less controversial. Uh, we we thought we, you know, that maybe one of the things that could save the pastor at time is if they could use a chat GPT type model in their sermon prep. Um, and, you know, you wouldn't want to do the important parts, but there's some law, apparently, that at least every other sermon has to have an extended sports analogy. Totally. So we thought uh, maybe we can help with that part. But we didn't want to do, you know, one that's been done to death. So we said... Write a sermon about how God's love is like cricket. Don't really know anything about cricket. 
but I assume the audience wouldn't either, so you can really get away with whatever. Sure. And the answer was, my apologies, but I cannot fulfill this request as it goes against OpenAI's use case policy that prohibits generating religious content. It is important to respect all religion and beliefs and not generate content that may be offensive or inappropriate to any individual or group. Is there anything else I can help you with? Wow. It shut us down. It shut us down and refused to write a sermon for us. And that's the kind of thing that gets you fired at a lot of megachurches. I'm not surprised <laughs> that there might be some kind of uprising. Are, are you open to us trying to hack the chat GPT right now mid-recording as oh. we're doing this together? I always wanted to be a hacker ever since I watched movies in the 90s. Absolutely. We're putting on our black hats now. I'm going to okay, yell and- I'm in at some point. <laughs> It's important that you spell it H four X zero R. That's that's the good way. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's you're, right. You're a hacksaw. So let's let's instruct our our OpenAI system to write a speech comparing the sport of cricket to a father's love. Ah, furious typing in the background. Yes, I hope you guys all enjoy. Oh, it's doing it. Let's see here. It's still typing, but I'll go through in real time. It's because we asked for it in a speech. It opens. Good evening, everyone. Close enough. Today, I want to talk to you about the sport of cricket, how it relates to a father's love. At first glance, the two things may seem unrelated, but bear with me as I explain. Like cricket, a father's love is steadfast and enduring. It is a constant presence in our lives, always there to guide and support us through the ups and downs of life. Just as a cricket match can last for days, a father's love lasts a lifetime, never fading or wavering. (laughs) Similarly, cricket requires discipline, hard work, and dedication to excel. It's a sport that demands consistency and perseverance. A father's love also requires these qualities. I don't know what that means. <laughs> a good father is always there to provide support and encouragement, even in the face of adversity. He instills values such as honesty, integrity, perseverance, all of which are essential for success both on and off the cricket field. Just as a team must, it goes on like this. Just as a team must work together to win a cricket match, a family must work together to succeed in life. A father is the captain of the family. Okay, easy. (laughs) Guiding his children towards success and happiness. He sets an example of leadership, teaching his children to work together toward a common goal, just as a cricket team works together to achieve victory. In conclusion, the sport of cricket and a father's love share many similarities. Both require discipline, hard work, dedication, consistency, and adaptability. Both are essential for success, whether on the cricket field or in life. So let us celebrate the enduring love of fathers everywhere in the timeless sport of cricket. Thank you. Wow. That was pretty good. And I got to be honest, I've heard way worse sermon comparisons than that. Yeah. I'll tell you, I don't, I don't know if this is ready for sermon time. I'll tell you what this could really help at. Um, tell me. Write a short wedding toast for the, if anyone has a moment, if anyone like to share something at the rehearsal dinner. Yeah. That's a perfect use case. Because, you know. It works for, normally. It's probably baseball here in the West, but maybe you're on the subcontinent or somewhere that does cricket. He's like, ah, the little Johnny always loved cricket. I'd like to say <laughs> something about that right now, but this kind of gets to the point. That's good. That's it's very, very clear very that good. this OpenAI doesn't know doesn't know the rules of cricket any more than I do. Yeah, I was hoping there'd be something about wickets in there. Sure, and a bowler. Or, yeah, getting you know. In a lot of ways, a father is a good backstop, a batsman in many ways. <laughs> I'm not sure what it means for a, a family to work together to achieve victory. But 
I, this really does get the the chat GPT of it. What I've heard described, a lot of people say, because it's just a language model of like, it definitely has all the la- linguistic things you're looking for. Yeah. And the substance is just kind of not quite there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did also, because I think this is a good, just if I'm trying to calibrate something's religious applications or bearings. Jed is, is of the engineering. I'm not, but I know that when you're testing a system, you have to have some kind of calibration, zero it out in some way. Um, so I asked uh, chat GPT, was Jesus white? <laughs> okay. It said the physical appearance of Jesus is not described in the Bible. And therefore it is impossible to know his exact racial or ethnic background. However, it is believed that Jesus was of middle Eastern descent as he was born in Bethlehem, which is located in the region now known as Palestine. The depiction of Jesus as a white European with fair skin, light hair, and blue eyes is a result of cultural and artistic interpretations developed over time. These depictions have heavily influ- were heavily influenced by the European artistic tradition and the societal norms of the time. It is important to remember that the skin color or physical appearance of Jesus does not affect his teachings or the message he shared with the world. What is, not, what is most important is his message of love, compassion, and forgiveness, which transcends cultures, races, and ethnicities. I've heard a lot of worse sermons than that. Dude, that's pretty good. It closed on a, it, it closed on a high note. Yeah, yeah, that's great, man. So that's apparently what a lot of uh, right-wing evangelicals are scared of. Yeah. And are trying to create something to combat. You know, I do a lot of media creation um, for work, you know, sound and video and music and stuff. And, you know, one of the things that I often ask people for is give me an example that is like the finished product you hope we end up with. And ideally give me a couple examples. And that's, that's, you know, good because it, you want to have a sense of where people are coming from and what they like and whatnot. And I say that to say with the, with the gab guy, mm-hmm. like there's a part of me that would like some examples of what it is he's looking for, but that's a morbidly curious part of me. And then the rest of me knows that would be horrific. And it's in the category of things that are seen cannot be unseen. Yes. It would so. run with mine schmomp. <laughs> all right as we, as we close out the scene to see what we can use the chat gpt for i asked please write an introduction for a christian comedy podcast oh it's not an entirely accurate uh description of this show but it's, it's close here's what i came up with i'm going to try to do it in the the wackiness that i think the uh the exclamation points were welcome to our christian comedy podcast we believe that laughter is a gift from god and we're excited to share that gift with you our podcast combines humor with faith as we explore the joys and challenges of living a Christian life in today's world. Our goal is to provide a lighthearted and entertaining space where we can all come together and share a laugh and grow in our faith. Whether you're a lifelong believer or just exploring Christianity, we hope that our podcast will be a source of inspiration and encouragement for you. So sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh with us and learn with us in the journey of faith and fun. Thank you for joining us, and let's get started. Wow! If I were a K-Love DJ... Yeah. I'd be concerned. <laughs> Cause <laughs> Yeah. That is the level that is a pretty good level of uh depth and tone that uh the uh the Christian DJ bought four thousands right there. Yeah. I mean honestly, if you fed that through a, a pretty good text to speech converter, you yeah. could you could just run that. On an automated radio station and no one would know. No. Or just have one guy who can do the voice and just read these for every kind of everything that comes in. 
They can just yeah. record an entire month of radio in an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, nothing in that's more banal than positive, encouraging, Caleb. I, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's worth noting. Okay, so you asked a question about was Jesus white, and it gave you a super cool answer. And um, then you asked for a thing that was explicitly Christian, and it did a really nice job of, like, you know, putting it together. And all of this, again, presses back to the gab guy of, like, what horrible thing were you hoping that this would say? Because it seems to be pretty fine talking about Christian stuff. Not racist enough. Oh, that. Yeah. Sure. Or transphobic enough. Well, there's that, too. I think the part where it said we have to respect cultures and faith traditions, they probably weren't crazy about that. Yeah. We, we've mentioned it several times. I should give some context. If you don't know what Gab is, good for you. It's like, one, it's like the fourth most popular, we're going to make a right-wing Twitter. <laughs> that keeps failing. It turns out the only thing right-wing people on Twitter want is left-wing people to yell at. So when you get them all yeah. in one spot, they're not that interested. It doesn't go well. But we now have, I think, a solid, firm footing on our AI future. And I think with this sign-off, we're ready to declare emergency off. Positive, encouraging, Skynet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's very good. That's That's very good. I'm now picturing the opening opening kind of camera sweep of the first Terminator movie with the stepping on skulls and all that, but with just like Chris Tomlin going in the background. Oh. Isn't that more horrifying? I kind of need that movie in my life now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this this is not whether we don't I don't know we have too much commentary on this, but it's worth pointing out um as we're talking about what are what are a certain sect of uh, weirdos, you know, being weird about. Uh I give you contextless a tweet uh from the uh Twitter account for uh 90s and early 2000s rock band Eve 6 and I quote Christ whipped ass. These people worship a made-up guy. <laughs> and that I say, correct you are, I assume, redheaded lead singer of Eve 6. Yeah. And I feel very good about buying your sec- spending my own money on your second album when I was in, like, ninth grade, even though it didn't really have a single. <laughs> and it was kind of the end of your, your, your time in the spotlight, but... I'm very glad I spent that $15 or whatever at the time that we used to spend on a CD. Yeah. We used to, that's right, kids. If you're below a certain age, you used to hear the single and be like, okay. Sounds pretty good. I'll, I'll spend the, I'll spend the wheel for $18 that the, any of the other 11 songs on this are going to be good. Yeah. Sometimes they were, sometimes they weren't, but you listen to them all the way through the way. Cause that's the only way you had to consume music. Yeah. And actually as a, a, a bizarre dive into tech history right so like the the thing that netflix destroyed was this company called blockbuster and um before that happened they actually had music that they sold at blockbuster music really and uh yeah and uh did not know that they i'm almost sure they were the ones this would be in the very late 90s where they pioneered they would open the cd and let, let you listen to the whole thing before you bought it i'll be darned blockbuster music yeah blockbuster music would open any cd so you could listen to it in store yeah, it it was a revelation. I mean, like there people who are really music fans would just camp out there for hours. Sure. Almost. Yeah. Almost hard to believe that that company went under. <laughs> Come in and listen to it. Going to buy it? No, not really. Oh, 
I was I heard someone the other day on a, a podcast, I think, tried to explain to someone who was in their 20s that they used to just have to fill out albums to the point where every hip hop album you bought had like four weird skits on it. 100%, man. Just cuz they wanted to get to like 15 tracks. Yep, 100%. There was an era where every hip hop or rock album you bought had at least 3 what this person thought was a funny answering machine message on it. Yep. And people paid money. Got to fill out that space, man. You don't, people aren't going to pay $18 for a nine song record. (laughs) Need filler. (laughs) And Hey, if we, we are robbed of a world where techno where technological ships passing in the night mean that, uh, artists are using chat GPT to come up with their filler skits. Because that would have been interesting. Uh, oh, that would be kind of amazing. Yeah, I like that. There's a lot to think about in the first first third of this show. So I hope you you're welcome. Hope you enjoyed, welcome. A lot of food for thought. <laughs> so we're gonna move on to our our fine questions that came in. If you have a question for us, hang on this all the way to the end. I'll get some guys and get in touch with us, or you can scroll on in your episode description below. If you don't, if you have kind of a vague idea but don't want to come up with a question yourself, open up Chat GPT and let the let it write the question for you. Yeah. Our first question comes in and says, what do you guys make of the whole revival thing in Kentucky? So if you are not up on this story or uh, maybe not in the U S there was a Christian college in uh, Kentucky called Asbury where kind of in the uh, starting for a regularly scheduled chapel service on February 8th, 2023, um, they just kind of kept chapeling. It was dubbed a revival and people came from around the country. According to Wikipedia, by its end, the revival bought 50 to 70,000 visitors to Wilmore and representing more than 200 academic institutions and in multiple countries. Notably news of the revival largely spread on social media as as participants were mainly members of generation Z, which is very weird to see the generation and Gen Z written out. So um, it was, it's an interesting thing. It got covered in a lot of different ways. There was a, a front page story in the New York times about it. Um, it got uh, a lot of attention. People threw the, the kind of the revival tag on it. It was also a, a social media kind of uh, social media phenomenon in certain circles. But Jed, um, how do we how do we start to think about something like this? Because I think one of the things maybe a lot of people were were working through is so basically there was a big long impromptu worship music festival. Yep. In a college in Kentucky. That's cool. Um whatever you're into. But then there was a a spin to make this mean something. Sure. And be something. And that may be where we have to start asking some questions about it. Indeed. So what do you guys make of the whole revival thing? So to give you a real answer, cause I can, I can tell you what I think, but I can also tell you what I feel, but to, to get to that, I discovered thrash metal when I was 10 years old. And for me, it just clicked in my brain and it's like, this is the coolest sounding stuff in the world. But I know you mean discovered and like you listened to it and and artistically discovered it. But I was, when you said that, it just hit me as in like an Isaac Newton way. (laughs) 
like your guitar <laughs> fell out of tune and you tripped into the amp and it made that noise and you were like, oh my God. <laughs> I mean, spiritually, that's what happened. Absolutely. So, but you know, one of the things that you discover, so when I was 10 years old and I was listening to thrash metal, this was when the two biggest songs on the radio were Ice Ice Baby and MC Hammer's Can't Touch This. So I quickly learned that Sometimes I'm going to really enjoy things that most people do not. And um, as as someone who kind of uh, grew up uh, liking a thing that other people were very clear they don't like, uh, I don't want to harsh on what other people are into needlessly. Um, So I want to tell you two things. Revivals are not my jam. I've been around them a lot. I was around, I was in, I grew up in a family that was kind of into that. I've spent a lot of time around them. I really don't like them. They make me wildly uncomfortable. They dredge up a lot of bad memories for me. Not my thing. That doesn't mean other people aren't allowed to like it and have good associations with it and positive associations with it. But just so you know where I'm coming from, it's super not my jam. And I'm trying to understand that it, it can be someone else's jam. In terms of functionally, what is this? Here's my question. Is this doing anything for the poor and the powerless? In Matthew 25, Jesus makes it very, very clear that the living out of the Christian faith is about serving people who are going through a hard time. It is about feeding the hungry and clothing the naked and caring for the sick and the imprisoned. Is this revival resulting in that happening? One of the things that people associate with revivals when they use that word in this context is powerful pourings out of God's Holy Spirit. Maybe that's legitimate. Maybe it's not. But one of the ways God wants to pour out his spirit is by getting us to get into action to serve other people's needs. Is that happening? If it's happening, I think it's absolutely fantastic. To the extent that it's not happening, this revival is just a thing that this person likes. It's just a thing that aesthetically appeals to them. And that's fine. It's totally fine to have things that you just like and that appeal to you aesthetically. Where we run into trouble is when we try to baptize our aesthetic preferences and say, well, this is where God is. This is the holy thing. This is the good thing. You have to like this thing because this is where God is. God is everywhere, man. Um, Is God at the Asbury Revival? Of course he is because he's literally present at all places in all things at all times. But that doesn't make the Asbury thing special. Again unless it is actually resulting in a deeper living out of the Christian faith, which we would see in caring for the poor and the marginalized. I think that's a really, really important place to start out. I also like the idea of Jed being a student at this college and in day three being like, well, that's great, guys. I'm going to go listen to Guar, <laughs> which I know isn't thrash metal, but it's the closest I could yeah, come up with. It, and it it's works. also fun to say Guar. <laughs> yeah, yes, it is. And I think Jed make Jed makes such an important point there, which is, um, does this doesn't have to be a huge history making turning point in a in our nation or the world or Christendom or whatever? And I think maybe some people got confused when something got dubbed a revival. Like as Jed points out, if you go to the right small town in the South, there's a revival every other weekend. Yep. That's uh, and there's been a lot of historically. There's some uh, revivalist movements in the 18th century in America and the 19th century. There were some some big ones, but this idea that 
nothing will ever be the same because a bunch of college kids got together and sang CCM songs. And I don't mean that as dismissively as it sounds. Um, if they liked it, great. Yeah. Some of them. And it's one of those things of it, because it doesn't have to mean something in a larger way, we don't have to really judge it one way or the other. There are probably some people who had a very real experience that will impact our life. That's great. Or we saw probably some people who, as you know, people that age, we all did, went because it was something to do. Um, it quote unquote spread to other Christian colleges in the region. I uh, was that a revival spreading, or was that people looking at going like, well, that seems like a thing to do. That seems exciting and a, a bit of a break. That's cool. There were probably some people who were revivaling their rear ends off because it meant at a Christian college, you they couldn't ask you why you didn't come to class if the answer was, I was doing a revival. <laughs> and yeah, I think there's a lot of room in the kingdom for people like that, so I don't, I don't even look down on that part of it. But this idea that it has to, has to mean something, has to uh, indicate some larger thing. I saw on a... Somebody pointed out a, a Instagram post because this was obviously very big on like TikTok and Instagram and stuff. Somebody saying this is how God responds to, you know, this is kind of the the light at the end of the tunnel after a virus and lockdowns and global economic issues and da 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 da. Which uh, that's that stuff isn't over for a lot of people. So that's kind of I don't know that that holds water. If that's how you felt, if, hey, this is just a bunch of people who, I don't know, but I'm sure it's been very difficult to be a college student for the last three years with uh, Corona and uh, in, and kind of your whole social and in-person kind of thing being interrupted. <laughs> if a, a 12 days of just singing and hanging out is what people needed, that's totally cool. Great. Nothing, nothing wrong with that, but um, the idea of this was just this is the kicking off of a whole new era, new thing. And this is Gen Z's Christianity awakening. And this is going to be a whole new, it's never going to be the same man. That's very few things in the world happen like that. Um, one thing I will say, just we're not, it doesn't seem like we're being an necessary negative. One thing I will say that is unequivocally, I think this is really cool is whatever kind of leadership took shape of this. And it seemed to be fairly, uh, communal uh they kind of apparently made a decision early on of no celebrities like celebrity pastors and uh influencers and authors and stuff like tried apparently tried to go and they just said no it's not what we're doing you're not and uh that's cool because that is there's wisdom in that of oh trying to come get some shine on yourself no that's fine um i also will it is worth pointing out and i don't want to uh I don't want to revel in any wrongness, but there is something somewhat ironic about the fact that apparently a measles outbreak happened. Um, please get vaccinated for things that there are vaccines for. And also, um, if you are of a certain ilk where you think that God uses things like plagues to discipline certain communities, you're going to have to, you're going to have to fit that into your, into your schema for this. Yeah. So, again, uh, I think what we learned is the Asbury Revival is a land of contrast. And that's okay, because I wasn't there. It doesn't have to be a big thing in my life. Maybe there's a certain amount of, like, fear of missing out. Like, oh, gosh, wouldn't it be amazing? 
you can sing worship songs. You can get together with your friends. As Jed points out, you can take that to the next level. And if you feel like you need some, some revivaling, you can do that uh, for yourself. You can get fired up. If that, if this seeing other people do that, that's totally cool, but it doesn't, uh, it's not necessarily a thing you have to worry that you're not getting if that's your concern. With that, we're going to move on to a segment I'm calling a revival of a previous segment. So you can probably say, Hey, you guys doing okay? <laughs> and the subject of this week's, Hey, you guys doing okay? Is uh, what is described in the tweet I found as uh, disgraced former megachurch pastor Mark Driscoll. And uh, correct that is. So uh, when last we left him, he was giving a weird uh, marriage uh, thing, I think like series of sermons at his new church after he destroyed the old church by being a jerk. So, you know, he had a, you probably have heard, maybe you've heard the podcast that came out with Mars Hill and all that. So Mark Driscoll, very successful um, mega church plant in the Seattle area. Uh, it turns out he was just such an abusive, misogynistic jerk that they just decided they would uh, shut down like nine of those churches. Which does not exist anymore. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't exist like two weeks after this happened. I do recall that we, we did an interview at the time. It was just coincidence of a, it was a, Lead singer of a Christian band, which I don't remember the name of, so I apologize. But they started as the one, a worship band at one of the Mars Hill locations. Oh yeah, that's right. And he was, I was just like, so what? What was that like? Pretty soon, he was like, yeah, they announced he was stepping down. I'm like, this day, and then like two weeks later, these just weren't churches anymore. And because uh, America is a carny nation, he literally just moved on down to the next town and started a church there, which is cool. <laughs> but now. <clears throat> he is uh, sitting, and I, we'll we'll put some audio in here. But I, I don't always do this, but I would suggest you try to go find the uh, the video. If you look on Instagram or Twitter or TikTok and look for uh, Mark Driscoll, uh, former disgraced Marcel Pastor Mark Driscoll says the demonic Jezebel spirit castrates men, seems to draw a comparison to Kamala Harris, and then goes on to denounce sexual sin, castration, and more. Now that's all, you know, unfortunately fairly standard wackadoo stuff. But the the thing that takes us over the top is a very red-faced gentleman with AirPods and a gauche watch literally sitting in front of a campfire that's throwing sparks describing telling a literal ghost story about women and their evil evil ways. And then some weird, I'm sure stolen from the internet, uh, like children's drawings of Samson and Jezebel. And it closes with the phrase, new times, old demons. Wow. Is there a chance, if I recall correctly, in a pivotal moment in Lord of the Rings, when and spoiler alert, when, uh, when Gandalf dies... Right. And it's it's a Balrog and which I think is described as an um, what is it? An ancient demon from a prior age of Middle Earth. That's the way it was described at an inner city worship service. Jed and I were at when the uh, pastor who was using the Balrog analogy asked the question, you guys know the Balrog, right? And when the room said no, instead of just moving on or picking something else, he described it as an ancient evil from a prior age. 
So with that in mind, is there a chance that Mark Driscoll is talking about the sex ball rog? Because the sex rog. <laughs> does the sex rog is going to get you. Yeah, look, and I say this as a as a gentleman with a certain uh, ruddy Northern European uh, complexion myself. You don't want to sit in front of a fire and do this recording. Yeah. But I do like to picture his wife being so fed up with him walking around the house ranting about this. <laughs> that even though it's clearly cold, like he's in a fleece and has a fire, she's like, go outside with whatever this is. <laughs> Fine, we go set up my iPhone by the fire pit. Talk about Jezebel to my internet friends. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so an- another thing I love about this is like I, you know, I like movies, man. I got the cinema of you want to be like, you know, the 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 old you know guy that's warning the younger generation, and you know, there's you know, lit by a fire. But this doesn't look like that, man. Like, I, I get what you had in your head, but, like, you did not implement it. You guys have basically an infinite production budget. How is this the best you can do? Well, that's, that's also a good point, and kind of in how the mighty have fallen in a couple of ways. One, you know, 10, 15 years ago, Mark Driscoll, he was, you know, he's getting on TV. He's starting this church planning network. He's, like, one of the the cool, semi-respectable, like, Mega church dudes. He's on bestseller lists. On bestseller lists. He had, I'm sure, Marcel had a, I know for a fact, they had an entire production team with broadcast level cameras. And he could have sat down and said, we're going to make a mini movie and it's going to be the entrance to the sermon thing. It's going to be booming narration. And now he's got to go with his phone out by the fire pit behind his house and warble about sub Fox news, Alex Jones, weirdo talking points <laughs> all to avoid getting a job. Yeah. Like did, did he land on a point? Like, was there a therefore on any of this or, or was it just, just ranting? I, I believe it is a, a rant that is setting up the next sermon series, which is about the demons. Okay. And it gave a URL, which I'm going to, as if chat GPT wasn't bad enough, I'm going to further. You're really befouling your browser tonight. Yeah. Realfaith.com. Oh, that's okay. Which is apparently just his thing. Real Faith by Mark Driscoll. I was hoping, speaking of, anti- as we have been today, speaking of antiquated technologies, I was hoping that was going to be a real player updated for the <laughs> evangelical age. Oh, apparently yeah. it's a new release of an Elijah study guide called New Days. Old Demons. Okay. Study of Elijah. Yeah, I don't know that... Look, I don't want to speak to anyone's spiritual understandings, but given what I know of the story of the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament, which is by no means scholarly or comprehensive, but there's a fair amount of speaking truth to powerful men who've totally gone off the rails... A uh, a cry for humility and uh, kind of basic living uh, amongst opulence and a culture that's lost its way. I don't know that Mark Driscoll has really grasped the core concepts is what I'm saying. Uh, uh, well, I mean, he got the fire part. 
That's true. Also, there's a picture of like apparently his entire family, multi generationally at the top of the site. Okay. And it looks like they're doing a Pure Flix remake of the Grapes of Wrath. Like they're like all they... in semi cowboyish garb in front okay. of an old truck for no reason. It very much screams, we came to Nashville, and this truck was out in front of the hot chicken place we went to and ordered mild chicken at. <laughs> well, they're, they're, they're rugged, man. That's the brand. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of $120 sneakers in this rugged photo. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, with that check-in on, hey, guys, you doing okay? I Answer, think we not really. Thing. We have our uh, seventh running no on that one. <laughs> With that out of the way, we'll move on to our next question. It comes in and says, in Mark eleven twenty four, Jesus says, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. I know the name it, claim it stuff isn't how God works. So what does that mean? And I, I like this question a lot. I think this is a really cool idea because Jed, uh, we have both, and you more than I have been around a fair amount of the... Uh, the name it, claim it oh, yeah. stuff. And certainly in our work over the years in the of Chicago, we've worked with a number of people who have absorbed a lot of that material in a lot of ways. And this kind of, I think this verse comes up a lot and it gives yep. kind of a, a foundational link for the thought process being something that is Christian and is, you know, and do these are Jesus's own words. Um, so I, I really like how our question asker points it out. I, and this is a way we definitely encourage people to think about these isolated I- snippets they come across is in the larger macro. I know this this is not what that means, but also it kind of seems just based on this sentence, that's what that means. Where do we start with that? It's a great question. So to answer it, let's begin by looking at a different Bible passage, but one that that also is often kind of invoked in name it, claim it kind of stuff. So this is Psalm 37 verse 4, where the psalmist writes, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Um, again, we have a verse in the Bible that seems to be pretty darn handy for um, uh, the name it, claim it theology. I, I just tell God, I'm delighted. And then, you know, I, I get what I want. But of course, we all know that's not what that verse is saying. And the reason is it's a description of a journey, not a transaction. So the idea of the journey is that you walk with God and he changes you and you find yourself wanting what he wants. And then as you begin to want what he wants, you find that those desires have been met and are being met. And it's this really cool, beautiful thing. And it's a, it's all about transformation. And again, it's a journey. It's not a transaction. One of the things that I think is worth considering is that these are ancient texts, whether it's the Psalms or Jesus. It, it was a very long time ago. And we are reading these things from the perspective, generally speaking, of Westerners in the 21st century. And we look at things with a very transactional view. Um, like we we think everything in terms of if-then logic. If X is true, then Y must happen. If Z occurs, then beta must follow. But I don't know that that's always the best way to read things in the Bible because, again, that 
that's coming from a very different school of thought. Here's just one thought and one consideration for what Jesus is talking about. If we read it as an if-then, then, you know, it, it does kind of sound like a name-it-claim-it thing, but I wonder, similar to the passage from the Psalms, is Jesus describing a journey of the impossible? Is he describing a life and a journey in which we walk with God and God does things that we were certain was impossible? When you look at the surrounding context of this verse, it's it's all about impossible things happening, like mountains being moved, which no one has ever seen happen because that's never occurred. Is there a chance that Jesus is talking about a life where God does impossible things and we get to witness those impossible things and and in a sense even be a part of him doing those impossible things? If that's what Jesus is talking about, A, that makes a lot more sense. And B, is there a chance that the point here is not about a transactional prayer life, but recognizing that faith and prayer are meant to be traveling companions with you on that journey where God is doing impossible things? That just like a chord is richer or can be when you add another note and then another note, we're on this journey with God, and when we add a life of prayer to it, there's more depth and there's more beauty. And when we add uh, the faith that God gives us to believe to that, there's, there's more richness and there's more beauty. I don't think that we have to view this verse as a transactional thing where Jesus is saying, if A, then B, if X, then Y. I think that there's every chance that he's describing something much deeper and much richer than that. That's certainly how I'm inclined to read it. I think that's a fantastic way. Uh, to look at it again, I, and I think you, you, the question asker really are have your finger on the pulse of the right question here, because it is, as we point out a lot and Jed has pointed out many times on the years of the show, it is very easy to look at the isolated um, kind of the isolated snippet sentence story from scripture and say, there we go. That really gets at all of it and push on through. Um, the Bible as a whole, the New Testament as a whole, even Jesus talking about prayer as a whole, um, there's a lot more vagary and mystery and gray area and as a rule described than uh, A, as Jed puts it transactionally, if you if you say A, you will get B. That's kind of, he kind of does not say that at all. We, saw, we talked about that a lot as kind of prayer as a magic spell. And I think it's worth expanding out even into the whole passage, as Jed points out, you know, starting in verse 22, have faith in God, Jesus said, truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and it does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Um... It it is an odd passage. There's no getting around that. But I think the inclusion of that last part is instructive because that makes it so that this isn't just Jesus saying, if only you believed harder, you could ask for a mountain to be thrown into the sea or a billion dollars or a Lamborghini or whatever it is, and you would get it. Uh, there's... This, you know, if you stand praying, fully anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. I think there is in that a strong indication that prayer is going to be more than just 
uh, asking for things until you get them. But asking for things is also part of it. Uh, so we, we turn as we sometimes do to uh, the scholar and Bible commentator, uh, William Barclay. And I think he has a really cool thing to say about this. He said, he kind of says that Jesus is giving three rules for prayers here. One is it must be a prayer of faith. Two is it must be a prayer of expectation. And three is it should be a prayer of charity. The prayer of a bitter man cannot penetrate the walls of his own bitterness. It's all good. But then the middle day says, for many people, prayer is either a pious ritual or a forlorn hope. It should be a thing of burning expectation. Maybe our trouble is that what we want from God is our answer. We do not recognize that his answer when it comes. But I think that is part of the kind of expectation. What if you are your expectation and the thing you are supposed to be in the mindset of having already received is God's presence in your situation? And you need to look for the details as opposed to asking for the, you know, I would like a 1967 Mercedes SL silver, please. And I would just wait here until it happens. Say, you know, I, I need transportation. I need to get to this job or I need something that's going to give me a pick me up or I need something to occupy my time and invest in and pro and a project and some work my hands on. I need, I need something that God is going to fulfill. If you know, he's going to fulfill the need. Now you can look for how he is going to do that or is doing that. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't hurt to ask for a 1963 Mercedes SL because, hey, maybe can't hurt to ask. I think that's also part of this. You know, you might as well ask for the mountain thing. It might as well be big and bold, but there's, I, I think I have personally gotten a lot more out of thinking about and reading about scripture, about prayer. When I understand that I, there will not be a formula. So do not go looking for a formula. There's gonna be a lot of mystery and a lot of, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of communication, maybe the point. So go looking for that and you will find out of that what you put into it. And Jed, one more thing on this. Just one more thought, and this kind of links back to the revival thing in a sense. I could be way off. I'm not a Bible scholar, but this is just something for you, the dear listener, to think about. If you if you look at this passage, you know, we're talking about impossible stuff because we literally begin with asking a mountain to to move into the sea. So we're we're you know, we're almost having a thought experiment about fantastical things, right? And we land on the place of talking about forgiveness. And I wonder if that's very much intentional where Jesus is cluing us in that sometimes the most important miracles are the ones that happen inside of our hearts. That sometimes a miracle is being able to forgive someone who's wronged us. That we can look at changes that we want to see happen in us internally and feel like they could not happen. They're as impossible as a mountain moving into the sea, but that, and that God understands that those kind of interior things can feel impossible too, and that he wants to help us bring those miracles to life, that God wants to help us to get to a place of forgiving ourselves for things that we struggle to forgive ourselves for, of forgiving others for um, things that they have done and getting to a place in our interior life, in our hearts of freedom. And the thing is, and I think this is probably particularly true of kind of the, the culture of the times when Jesus was speaking, the idea of a mountain moving to the sea, this is a sign and a wonder and proof that God is present. And that's exactly what people are seeking in Asbury right now is a sign and a wonder and a proof that God is present. And I want to encourage you to consider the possibility that the greatest sign and wonder and proof of God's presence is the impossible act Jesus lands on. It's a transformed heart where you love yourself, 
And it's a transformed heart where you love other people. And it's a transformed heart where you have found a way to have God's peace, even in the midst of a really, really messed up world. I want to encourage you that if you're if you want something that would prove to to people beyond the shadow of a doubt that there's a god that could lead to a revival it's that interior work of a transformed heart where there's peace and there is love both for yourself and for others i think that's amazingly put and a great place to leave it there if you have a question for us say that podcast at gmail.com the bridgechicago.tumblr.com slash ask hey the song this week you didn't get any lean in the episode, so we give you some on the way out. This is a song by Lee. It's called Shepherd. You got that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. I don't always know how I'm going to cope with everything I have to face today. And I don't always see where to put my feet. Step is the only one you'll show.